I think being reminded of salvation and what God has accomplished for us is good for us to continue to go back there. So it seemed like the singing was really good, like it reflected that beauty of that truth. So it's good. John chapter 7. <clears throat> Made it through John 6 and only two messages, which I think is an accomplishment. That's a lot of chapter there. <laughs> I'm sure I left lots behind. Um, I want to remind you a little bit of John 5 and 6 so we can kind of follow a little bit the train of thought of what we've got going on here. The uh, first four chapters of John really looked at what it meant to believe and <clears throat> the right belief versus the wrong belief. Uh, the right belief was based on the words of the Lord Jesus, and the wrong belief was belief that was based simply on his miracles, and we'll touch on that a little bit more later on. And then chapter 5 seems to be a transition where he begins to expose what's in the hearts of the Jews. And chapter 5 is where you had that lame man beside the water, and he's trying to get in there, and he gets healed, and things progress from there because the healing was on the Sabbath, the Jews around there, and these were uh, leading Jews, they were in Jerusalem, the temple, and they were godly men, or at least had the appearance of godly. And Jesus exposes to them that they don't have the word of God abiding in them. They don't have the love of God inside them. They don't listen to Moses' words. Because if they listen to Moses' words, then they would listen to him. But in his discussion with them, he shows them who he is as the judge, and offers to them salvation. This is how you escape judgment and enter into life. So he was talking to the leading Jews as far as in their society was concerned and as far as their religious life was concerned. These guys were like the elite. And in chapter 6, we have more of the common people. <clears throat> people, but not just anybody, but it was people who were actually interested in what Jesus, in him, in, uh, in what he was doing, and, and they were following him. They, they searched him out in the wilderness, and he had to feed them in the wilderness because they didn't have any food. <clears throat> and they were impressed, uh, I'll remind you in verse 14 of chapter 6, that they were impressed when they saw the sign that Jesus did, and they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. So they saw what he did, and they said, you know what, the Old Testament prophesied, told of a prophet that would come. Moses himself told us this prophet and that we should listen to him. We think this guy is the prophet, which is a good sign. But later Jesus tells them, uh, let's see, where does he say it? <clears throat> he tells them that they don't actually believe. Where does he say that? Oh, he says it in verse 36. I have said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Though they had seen the sign, though they were convinced that this guy was the prophet, they did not believe. And he goes on to show them that uh, they have not been taught by God. Maybe they've been taught by the rabbis, maybe by the Levites, but they have never been of that heart attitude where they heard the voice of God speaking through his word. And because they had not been taught of God, they were not coming to Christ. They were not being drawn by God to Christ, and so they would be lost. So you have the elite Jews in Jerusalem, and he shows them that they know nothing, that they uh, uh, 
do not have the word of God abiding in them. Now he's talking to common people and he shows them that they have never been taught by God and shows them that they are lost as well. Now we come to chapter 7 and in chapter 7 we have a mixture of people. Be back at Jerusalem so you're going to have some of the elites there and you're going to also have some of the second class, not quite elites, but the higher than most of the rest of the nation and then you're going to have some of the common people because This was in the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's read the first couple of verses. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. He did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Tabernacles was one of those feasts of the three. They they had seven feasts and three of them, God said, you come down to Jerusalem. All the males should come down and celebrate this feast. And the Tabernacles was one of those feasts. So you would have... Any God-fearing Jew in the nation would be down at Jerusalem. I think that's the one thing that they had in common here, but they came from different levels of the religious society. There was the the ones that lived in Jerusalem. They were considered higher up because they were closer to God. Then you got the ones from Galilee were probably the other end of the spectrum, still God-fearing, but you know what? They live way out over yonder. They're all going to be here, and they are going to be, uh, Jesus is going to be talking to them. And the chapter is extremely confusing because it seems like he'll talk to one group, and the other group answers. He'll be talking to the elites, and the common people answer. Or the common people, he'll be talking to them, and then the elites answer. And you get all this (coughs) mixture, and it just doesn't make sense. But through it, I think he is, again, showing them their lack and their need for God, what they are missing, and offering to them, again, salvation. So each one of these chapters, you've got him exposing their need, what they're missing, and how far they are from God, and he also offers them salvation in chapter 5 and chapter 6, and we'll see it in chapter 7 as well. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing before we dive in. Father, we come before you and again look to you for your help and your blessing. We look into your word. These things you have written for us to uh, show us the reality of where we're at and our need for the Savior. We thank you for him and his willingness to come and to offer himself to take our sin that we might be saved. And so just look to you for your help and blessing and understanding your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 3, his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Um, I think think there's two ways you can look at this passage uh, of what this brother said. And... I think it's pretty common to see that his brothers are looking at Jesus and they're saying, we don't believe in you, we're kind of annoyed with you and all of that. Uh, but I think there's a different way you can look at this. The fact that they didn't believe in him didn't necessarily mean that they were opposed to him. And reference back to chapter 6, where you've got all these people that are following after Jesus, they're going out into the wilderness, they're seeing the miracles that he does, and yet the comment is, they did not believe in him. And when we looked in chapter 6, we saw that what he meant by the fact that they did not believe in him is they did not see that he was the one who came from God. He wasn't just 
a man that they that had been born like the rest of us. That's where he began, was at the time he was born, and then he grew up like the rest of us. Yes, he did grow up. Yes, he was born, but he was different in that he didn't start when he was born. He came from heaven. They didn't see that. They didn't believe in him in that level. Believe that he was the prophet? Sure. Believe that he was sent from God, that God gave him a message like he did to other prophets? Sure, we can believe that. But to believe that he actually came from God and became a man, they didn't believe that. But they were for him. They followed him. They thought he was the prophet. They saw his miracles. Now, in Jewish society, if you had a, an older brother who really was going on for God and he was really teaching and he was on track to become maybe a rabbi, that would be something that would be an, a thing that would bring honor to the family. And they may have looked on Jesus and seen him as someone who was going on. And he had a bit of an upset. He was out there in chapter 6 and he was talking to these people and a whole crowd of his disciples left him. And it could be that they're saying to him, you know, Jesus, I mean, you're going on for God. We've got great skill. And we see the works that you do. Notice how they say uh, in verse 3, depart from here, go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. They saw the miracles that he did. They knew he came from that. That power came from God. And it's like they're saying, you know what? These common people up here in the north, they don't understand the, the things of God and so forth. You need to go down to Judea, to Jerusalem, where you have the, the real people of God. And there, teach them your stuff and show them the miracles and show them. And, and there's where you'll find a true following. It could be that that's what they're saying. And the reason that they said that is because they didn't understand that he came from God, that he was not just a mere man like they were, but he came from God and that he came for a specific purpose. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. He's bringing to their attention the reality that he's not just a great man of God who's going on and he's God has revealed himself to him or whatever, and so now he's able to teach other people and whatever else. He's not like that. He is sent to this earth for a specific purpose, for a specific time, for a specific reason. He referenced that same thing back in John 2 when his mother said, told him about the, the wine running out at the wedding, and he said, well, my hour has not yet come. Here he reminds his brothers again, or attempts to show them that, look, I am not here as just a typical prophet. I am here for a specific purpose and a specific reason. They probably took that as he was telling them that God had revealed to him that now is not the time for him to generate his following. He's not going to go down there and try to build up a following. All rabbis have their moment when everybody recognizes them for who they are, and then they start to follow him and really say, this is a great man. And he's telling them, my hour has not yet come. I bet you that could be how they took it. But he was talking about the time when he would go to the cross. The time when he would bear our sins in his body on the tree. My time has not yet come, he says. But in verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. He rem- I don't know if his brothers realized that the Jews in Jerusalem hated him. 
But here he tells them that the world, and it's interesting to me here that when he uses the word world, he's not talking about the heathen world. Heathen world didn't know who he was. They didn't hate him. The ones who hated him were these Jews in Jerusalem from chapter 5 who saw that he healed that man on the Sabbath and they took offense of it. And then when Jesus said that my father and I are working, they took greater offense at that and from there on they wanted to kill him. These are the, the elite in the religious society of the Jews who, were, who hated him. They were the world. Why would you call them the world? I mean, they were the men of God. And the reason is because they didn't know God. They were busy following God to the best of their ability. They studied the scriptures. They did all the feasts. They did everything they were supposed to do. But they had no relationship with God. They had no understanding of who he was. They were doing all that they were doing so that they wouldn't look bad in front of their neighbors. They would look good. as That was their motivation, and he had exposed that in chapter 5. They had a completely distorted view of God. Their following, the way that they followed God, the way that they pursued after him, had nothing to do with God. God had not revealed that to them. These were all ideas that they had come to them because of the lie in the world around them. They were... It was not from God, therefore it was of the world. They were men of the world, thinking that they were men of God. So in verse 10, then, his brothers, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, but not openly, but as it were in secret. And the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining about the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. No one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So this, right off the bat, he's showing us there's a mixed group here. You've got some people that thought that Jesus was a good man. They heard what he taught. He said good things. He told good parables. He did great miracles. And there's other people who said, yeah, he does all of that, but he heals on the Sabbath which is clearly breaking the law, which means that he must be opposed to God. So he's just got a good facade, but really underneath, he is an evil man. He's just deceiving you. you got that two different opinions there. And the funny thing is that neither one of these opinions were any closer to being right. They were both wrong. The ones that thought he was good didn't recognize that he was the one from God. As much as the ones that thought he was deceiving the people. <clears throat> so there was much confusion going on. Verse 14, But at the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied at the seminary or, or rabbi school or whatever it was? You know, he doesn't have any degree. And Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. He's up there teaching. They're all impressed because he's, evidently he's skilled at being able to, being eloquent, let's say. He's able to really proclaim the word of God in a way that it makes sense and is and resonates and so forth. And they're, they're blown away by this because they know he has no formal training. But you got this mixture out there. Some people are thinking, yeah, he sounds good, but he's just deceiving the people. And you got other people saying, well, he's good. How do you know? Is he good or is he not? He can do miracles. That's evidence that he's good. But if he's working on the Sabbath, then those miracles are no good because there's a possibility that somebody could come along and do miracles and have power from the devil. How do you know? If, if you're in that crowd, how do you know if Jesus is actually good or if he's deceiving the people? <clears throat> and Jesus says, my teaching that I am teaching you It doesn't come from me. It comes from the one that sent me. Very much similar to the prophets. When the prophets came and spoke to the Israelites, they merely were taking the word of God that had been given to them and conveying it to the people. Prophets weren't there to preach their own message of what people ought to do. They took what God said, and as painful as it was sometimes, they merely repeated it, maybe in their own language, maybe they repeated it word for word. I don't know. But they repeated what God had told them to the people. Jesus is saying he's doing the same thing, that he is not teaching some of his own ideas, but he's teaching from what God has given him. Then he says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak in my own authority. If you are the kind of person, he says, who you want to do what God wants us to do, what other kind of people are there? Well, there's people out there who, they go to the feast because that's what good Jews are supposed to do. And if you don't go to the feast, other people are going to look at you and say, you know what, we've got elite Jews in Jerusalem and we've got godly Jews in Nazareth and then we've got you folks who don't even go to the feast. You rank below them all. So if you don't want the stigma of being a Jew who doesn't go to the feast, then you better go to the feast. So there's people who do what they're supposed to do because other people are watching. And if you're one of those people where you you do what you're supposed to do just because of what other people see and what they might think of you, you're probably not going to get what Jesus is saying. You're not going to understand. You're not going to be able to figure out whether or not he really came from God or whether he's deceiving the people. You're you're not going to get it. But if you're one of those people that you go to the feast because that's what God said to do. He, He specifically went out of his way and told Moses that these are the things that I want the people of Israel to do. And so you go because that's that's where God said to go. You want to do what God says because you're accountable to God. You'd be like Joseph, you know, who he was when he was uh, when Potiphar's wife was trying to drag him in uh, into the bedroom. Joseph said, "No, I can't do that." 
Your husband Potiphar has given me all kinds of responsibility in the house. I'm over everything, but he has not given me you. So I don't want to go do this because if Potiphar catches me, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. No, that's not what he said. He said, Potiphar has given me all all these different things in this house except for you. How can I sin against God before God and go into the bedroom with you? He was very much concerned with what God thought. Joseph would have been one of those guys who standing in the crowd would have heard what Jesus said and he would have heard the words, the teaching of Jesus and he would have recognized this is what God wants. This is the truth like God proclaims. This man is from God. His very teaching shows that he came from God. But if you're there just because you're impressing your neighbors, you're going to miss it. Then Jesus says, he who speaks from himself speaks his own glory. And you think about what he means by that and how many rabbis they had in Jerusalem and in Israel in that day who would study and, and they get their master's degree and do their thesis and whatever and they'd become an expert in a particular area and they would go out and teach people because of the expertise that they had from their hard study and getting their doctorate. And they would be able to teach their little soapbox doctrine. You know, they could teach what they were expert in, <clears throat> what they had learned. Were they the thing that they knew so well? Well, if you're up there teaching this stuff because you have got this little corner on the market, like you got this understanding of the truth, and I, I've seen people do this before, who they find some truth, and it's just like, wow, this is this is amazing, and it becomes like their life mission then to teach that truth to everybody they come across, and it, and it they it becomes a point where. They expect you to listen to them because they got this truth. And they're seeking their own glory. Jesus says, I'm not doing that. Seeking the glory of the one who sent him. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, how let's say I was up teaching, hypothetically speaking, and I look at, you know, stand up in my own soapbox, like, How can somebody stand up and teach and that be said of them that there's no unrighteousness in them? Because that's what he says. He says, uh, he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. I think what he's saying is that if I'm standing up here and I'm preaching on my own soapbox, I'm looking for my own glory, that's despicable. You know, to have somebody standing up here and pushing their agenda, or whatever it might be, their, their idea, their, they're seeking their own glory right in front of God. <laughs> like, that's terrible. But for somebody to stand up here and say, well, this is what God teaches. And so to speak, like it's not, not about me anymore. Let's, let's look at what God has to say here, and let's consider what God has to say. And this is the way God puts things even if I'm unrighteous, as long as I'm presenting God, which I am, even as long as I'm presenting God's truth, uh, there is no unrighteousness in doing that. There, so he so he basically tells them that 
Yeah, he's like, you guys are going to have a little bit of a rough time for that. I can't find out or not. But let me give you something to chew on. He said in verse 19, did not, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So here is where he's talking to those elite Jews from Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him because he had healed on the Sabbath, right? But the people, now in verse 20, it's not the elite Jews that answer him, which you can well imagine why. I mean, when you get called out for something like that, you're not going <laughs> to let somebody else take this one. So verse 20, you see the people answered and said, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Like, well, what are you talking about? We've got a mixture. We've got some elite Jews here. They want to kill him. And you've got the people who have no idea what's going on. What do you mean people have wants to kill you? But you'll see in verse 25, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? There's a mixture here. Some people are in a no. Some people are not. And he speaks to one and the other one answers. <laughs> it gave me a real headache for many years trying to understand what he was talking about here. Anyhow, the people say, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. And Jesus answered him and said, I did one work, and you all marvel. Now, he had done tons of works, but what he's referring to is the one that they saw. The one that was done right at the gates of the temple, at the pool of Siloam, where the guy was healed on the Sabbath. You saw that one work, you all marvel, and don't know what to do about it, because it was done on the Sabbath. He says, okay, now watch this, verse 22, Moses, therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So he speaks a very simple truth. You say I break the Sabbath, you break the Sabbath, let me show you how. Don't you circumcise on the Sabbath? And some of the ones that might have been more thoughtful would have sat there and thought about it. Like, <clears throat> and maybe I never had a kid that was born, you know, eight days before the Sabbath. But my neighbors have, and I saw no problem with them circumcising that kid on the Sabbath. So, yeah, the, the thing, it applies to me. Whether or not it's actually happened to me, it applies. But... What that means is it's impossible to perfectly keep the law and not break any part of it. It's impossible. The law was written in such a way that it is literally impossible to keep it without breaking it. These two commands right there expose that, that you can't keep the command of circumcision on the eighth day and keep the command of the Sabbath, even if you are following the law to the best of your ability you will break it. <clears throat> Simple truth he speaks totally reveals that they're guilty of breaking the law. And it can't be helped. They're going to break the law in keeping it. He tells them to judge with righteous judgment. In other words, be honest about where you guys are at. Realize that you break the law as much as you say I break the law, and even more so. Be honest about your judgment. Don't just judge according to appearance that you look good and I look bad, and I'm going to judge you based on that. I mean, take, take a real look at this and see. Why did God, well, before you go on, let's 
pause and think about this. Why did God write the law in such a way that you couldn't possibly keep it? Well, because it was the reality. If we pursue after righteousness and we're going to pursue it to the best of our ability, we're never going to attain righteousness. So you might as well write the law to show people that you can't attain righteousness anyhow based on your works. There's a little truth that Jesus revealed showed them that they were lawbreakers. Not just because the law was written in a way that was impossible to keep, but because of what was in their own hearts. They were lawbreakers. <clears throat> Anybody who was interested in doing what God wanted them to do and follow his commands would have seen the reality of his truth that they were lawbreakers. Anybody that was interested in impressing their neighbors would have gone right by them. And it did. Verse 25, some of them from Jerusalem said, isn't this the guy whom they seek to kill? Like, what is he? I mean, I can just imagine them seeing the conundrum here of the law of Moses is impossible to keep. Ah, shouldn't somebody be killing this guy? Or, you know, like, you don't want to dwell on that thought too long. Let's shift to something else. This is, what is this guy doing teaching here? Why is he raising these kinds of questions? He's going to just be causing doubt for people. This, isn't this, where, where are the authorities? Look, he speaks boldly. They say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Moreover, we know where this man is from. He comes from Nazareth. When the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Apparently, they had the idea that when the Christ came, he would come like out of nowhere and he would have this great army with them and he would deliver them from the Romans and all of their enemies and so forth. He said, this guy can't be the Messiah because we know his history. We know where he came from up in Nazareth. There's his brothers and whatever else like that. And Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from. He doesn't argue that point. He concedes the point. You know me. You know where I came from. But I have not come of myself. He who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. <clears throat> so he's telling them, sure, you know that it came from Nazareth, but you knew well, a lot of the prophets in the past, you knew where they came from, but when God gave them a message, they came with that message, and they started to proclaim the message. didn't matter if you knew where the prophet came from. Once he got a message from God, he had a job to do. He said, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, sure, you know where I come from, but God has given me a job, a message, and I'm here proclaiming it to you. Hint, hint, you should listen. I'm not just here tooting my own horn, I'm here proclaiming God's message. But he says, you don't know him. Now, remember where he's at. He's in the temple courtyard, teaching from one of those side rooms at the temple. People are there in the temple courtyard, and he's telling them, you don't know God. (laughs) What are you trying to say? Do you not see how far we had to travel because we follow God? I mean, what do you mean we don't know God?
What if you were one of those people that wanted to do the will of God and Jesus came up to you and said, you don't know God. You'd be like, yeah. Who does know God? Who can wrap their minds around God? Who can say God is glorified at the cross? How is that? You know, how can you wrap your mind around God? But if you're there trying to impress your neighbors, and Jesus says to you in front of everybody, you don't know God, what do you mean I don't know God? That'd be a hard pill to take in front of everybody. But I know him, he said. I am from him. He sent me. Again, there's a mixed response. Verse 30, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour not yet come. So some people were greatly offended by this and they wanted to put a stop to it. But then in verse 31, Many of the people believed in him and they said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this, than that which this man has done? I think verse 31 is the same group of people as in chapter 2. Towards the end of the chapter, only this time he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So you see the similarity here. These ones believe in him because they saw the signs. But then in verse 24, chapter 2, it says, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in them. In other words, they, they believed it was the wrong kind of belief, and so he did not commit himself to them or did not believe in them. And I think this is the same kind of group of people because they're looking at the miracles, the signs. And what does Jesus want from them? He said, "My, not my works, my doctrine. My doctrine is from God. So what's the most important thing? The teaching, the words that he speaks. And these people are looking at the signs. And I think he will not commit himself to them. Verse 32, the Pharisees, now we're looking at the elites, they heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they probably weren't in the group of people that were listening to Jesus teach because they were Pharisees. Why would they go listen to some guy from Nazareth teach? But anyhow, they heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, so you got these officers come to him, They're at the edge of the crowd now. And Jesus is still speaking. And he says to the crowd, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, the impact of these words. He had just told them that his doctrine came from God, that he was teaching them the truth from God. And then he told them, that they were guilty of breaking the law inherently. And then he told them they don't know God, but he does. And now he tells them he's only going to be with them for a little while. And then he's going back to the one who sent him. 
they have just a little window of opportunity to get to know God. Because Jesus is the key to that. He knows God. They don't. They're inherent lawbreakers. They don't have the doctrine of God. He does. He can tell them. He's willing. He's there. He's trying to teach them. But they've got just this little window of opportunity. And then they will look for him and they won't find him. And where he's going, they cannot come. He's going back to God. They can't go there. Of course they can't go there. They don't know God. They don't know his doctrine. They don't know nothing about him. But the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? They couldn't go to the Greeks, not these Jews. These Jews, they lived in Jerusalem. They were, uh, you know, the religious holy people. They couldn't go among the unclean Greeks. What is this thing he said? You will seek me and not find me where I am. You cannot come. Is God going to send him on some kind of mission out there, like a good missionary? Good for him, but we can't follow him out there because we we stay in the holy place of Jerusalem. No, that's not the issue. The issue is they were not holy. He was going back to God. They were not holy. They could not go there. But they looked at it all backwards. Because they felt they had done a good job at impressing their neighbors. They certainly weren't ones that would not be received by God, were they? The Pharisees sent these officers to take him. They were going to take him and put him in jail or put him on the cross. I mean, ultimately, they're going to put him, going to put an end to this. And Jesus is like, you guys think you're going to take me and shut me down? Yeah, you will take me, put me in jail, and you'll put me on the cross. But what's happening is I am leaving you. And you're not getting rid of me. I am leaving you and going back to the one who sent me. And you look for me. You won't find me. They had it all backwards. Now on the last day, verse 37, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, so he'd started talking to him in the middle of the feast, and and this conversation that we've been following has probably been going over the course of a few days, little bits here and little bits there. It seems like John pulls little bits here and there and puts them all together. But on the last day, the very end, after all these different conversations that Jesus has had with these Jews, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. <clears throat> he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. But the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you hear the call of salvation? I mean, he is... He has shown them where he has come from, the doctrine from God, and he has shown them that they are lawbreakers, and he has shown them that they don't know God, and he has shown them that they can't even get to God. Once he goes, if they don't, if they're not on his coattails, they're not going to get to God. <clears throat> Anybody that was listening and hearing the truth of that would realize that they have a big problem. How are we going to resolve this? And he stands up at the last day and says, hey, if you are thirsting for acceptance from God, thirsting to know God, I can bring you to God. You can know him. 
not only will you get to know God, but out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Like you, you will know God so well that other people will be impacted by what you find, the mercies that you find in God. <clears throat> Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard the saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes out of the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of them, or because of him. Now some, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. <clears throat> the appeal that he makes to them, you can know God through me. And the heartbreak to see that they just, they don't listen. Now notice verse 45. The officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, The lowly officers. These guys were working during the feast. They weren't even there at the feast. They were on duty. They were the lowlifes, I guess. Officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. You heard this guy? No, they hadn't heard him. That was their problem. None of them were listening to him. The officer's like, you ever heard him? The Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him? and knows what he's doing? I mean, shouldn't we listen a little bit to find out at least what's going on here? I mean, he can do miracles. Shouldn't we at least try to find out if he came from God? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Everyone went to his own house. They won't even listen. They judged him based on appearance. They didn't judge with righteous judgment. They didn't listen to the word and evaluate if his doctrine actually came from God. As we look at this chapter, we see how it applies to the Jews. Their confusion, misunderstanding. But this chapter was written by John to us. Where do we stand in our walk before God? Why do we do what we know is right? Why do we come to this church? Why do we read our Bibles? Is it because we're trying to do what God wants us to do? Or is it because if I don't go, what are people going to say about me? Are we seeking our own glory? Or are we trying to do his will? We want to do his will. When he says to us that we do not keep the law, well, even if we do keep, we do not, we break the law. We are guilty. When he says that to us, does that resonate? Is that true? Do I break the law of God inherently just because of who I am? Is that true? Or is he talking about somebody else? When he says to us, you don't know God, 
What's our response? Sometimes we are trying to do God's will. Sometimes we're trying to do, we're trying to impress our neighbors. I mean, which one of us hasn't seen somebody say to their kids, "Don't do that"? What are our neighbors going to think they see us doing that? If I knew God, would I fear what happens in the future? If I knew God and his love towards me, would I be worried about what's going on right now? Do I know God? And that's why it's so good to be brought back to the truth of the gospel. No, I don't honor God. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Lord Jesus is the one that saves us from our ignorance, from our sin. He introduces us to God. We begin to find the, the measure of God's mercy. We find how willing God is to save us. We find how much he loves us. No, the, the crowds would not follow after Jesus because his time had not yet come. The crowds would not follow after Jesus until his time came when he went to the cross. Then we would see that he was sent from God then we would see why he came. Then we would see his glory because this is a righteous God who was willing to take our sin upon himself, to humble himself at that level to go down to the cross. This was God's heart. This is at the cross is where we see God in all of his mercy, his righteousness, his justice. There is the glory of God demonstrated in a way that we've never seen anywhere else before. Jesus is the key knowing God anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scriptures said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water let's close in prayer our father we come before you and again thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ we thank you for his willingness to come what a mess he walked into everywhere he went the ugliness of sin was exposed. The truth was that everywhere he went, the light of the truth went out and showed the greatness of our sin. And he said, come to me. I will bring you to God. And it's true. He has brought us to you. Now we call you Father because your son died for us. We thank you for him this morning. Amen.